Hello and welcome to the Locked On Canucks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Justin Morissette, and this is your Locked On Canucks for Thursday, January 23rd, coming to you late at night, possibly after midnight once again. Uh, Chris and I actually recorded this earlier this afternoon, but uh, I had to run between jobs, and now I'm back again, finally putting it out for you to enjoy. Friday's show going to come out a little bit earlier. I do guarantee that. It will be uh, a mid-afternoon episode for you on Friday, but I'm sure you're probably listening to this on Friday morning, which means you might get a double dose of Locked On Canucks for you uh, on uh, Friday day. So look forward to that and uh, look forward to the conversation that I got to have today. A very nice chat with uh, Chris Faber of the Canuck Conversation. Not sure why it's taken me so long to get Faber on the show, um, but uh, glad to have done it. touch base with him and, and how things are going with his podcast now that he's made the jump over to Vancouver to attend BCIT. And then we got into uh, all sorts of Canucks topics as well, where the team is at, uh, at the, uh, you know, all-star break and uh, whether they should make some moves at the deadline, what this team can do if it makes the playoffs, uh, if they should make the playoffs, if it's advantageous for them to do that this year or not. But hey, instead of just outlining all of the topics that we talked about, why don't I let you hear the conversation itself. Without further ado, joining me here today on Locked On Canucks, it's Chris Faber. My guest today, joining me for the very first time, making his Locked On Canucks debut. You can find him as the host, one of the co-hosts now, I should say, of the Canucks Conversation podcast. He is writing for uh, Canucks Army and probably, I don't know, are you one of the names that uh, got scooped up for this Pass It to Bulis expansion as well? Uh, no, I didn't actually. Uh, I'm working on something uh, in the summertime, but I can't really get into that too much. But it's not hockey wise. I'm going to be writing about something else. So oh. I'm excited for that. Oh wow! Yeah, I a little bit a feeling... of lifestyle blog almost. Oh, well, I was going to say, I have, if it's not hockey related and it's sports related, I know your history. It's Chris Faber <laughs> joining me today, former uh, collegiate baseball player. Thought you might be writing about some baseball, perhaps in the summer yeah, months. Yeah, sounds like uh, you got some scoops there, Justin. I'll tell you that it is something to do with baseball. I'll All right, he's giving uh, little uh, dugout signals, pulling on his <laughs> earlobe. We can't see him, folks, but I trust that that's exactly what he's doing. Right on, bud. That's cool. Uh, I mean, before we dive into a Canuck conversation, uh, why don't we talk about the show and the changes that you have made to it over the last little while? I was pleased to be one of the final guests under the previous format, but uh, you are no longer flying solo after 60 episodes going it alone. Yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun adding quads over, you know, since I moved over, I guess it's been two and a half weeks now since I moved over from the island. I uh, started to go to BCIT, wanted to work with quads, and uh, last week was actually the first time that he hosted the show. Uh, so it was kind of strange. I was telling him, like, you can do your own intro, but it just felt so weird not being like, hello, Canucks fans, well, welcome back to another episode. Like, he's doing his version. Uh, but he did a great job hosting, and I'm super stoked to work with quads. We're going to be going to school together. And I know I, I mentioned it to you, I think, maybe just in DMs and stuff, but the fact that we want to work together, and I know I heard you talking about this with him yesterday, uh, it, it's so amazing that we want to work with each other together, and we're not even the program yet, which is awesome at BCIT. Yeah, you've already kind of found that pairing, and and I, you know, I was saying to him as well, the fact that the both of you are already like known commodities in this market, like is you are at such an advantage going into this program relative to 
you know, myself when I went through it or like anyone that I knew at that time mm-hmm. as well. So uh, you, you've both uh, taken full advantage of the positivity uh, uh, of, of social media, basically, and the, and the wave that you can ride on that. Uh, so well done to you there, Chris. I do need to ask you, though, how how's uh, life in the city been? What's the adjustment been from uh, <laughs> between Nanaimo and, and moving to Vancouver now? Uh, it's huge. So I just went down to the ECCW uh, from tickets from you and Wrestle Central. Actually, thank you very much. You're, you're uh, very welcome. Absolute blast. We might have to dive into that because I, I had such an amazing night going to that. I was going to uh, save but, that for the end. Yeah, we can get back yeah, into that a little later for sure. Uh, but driving downtown uh, is so crappy compared to uh, what it's like in Nanaimo. I learned that pretty fast. Learning about the highways a little bit. I kind of got it figured out right now from like South Surrey, which is where I'm living to, I guess, the Burnaby area and BCIT, but any other part of this town, I have no idea. But it, it's been a lot of fun. Like, me and Quads were able to go down to the equipment sale they did at Rogers Arena a couple weeks ago. I picked up a broken Louis Erickson stick, which is just the perfect item to buy when you go to one of those equipment sales. Um, and, you know, just being able to have the Rogers Arena be, you know, it's about an hour drive away from myself. But the fact that it's there instead of a ferry ride in a hotel, it's pretty awesome to be over here on the mainland. Yeah, you know, you're you're somebody who who got uh, press accreditation, I think, through Canucks Army to attend training camp on the island. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I don't know how often Canucks Army is sending people to the press box necessarily at this point to go cover the games in person, but just being here and having that option, I'm sure, is uh, probably a pretty nice feeling for you as well. Yeah, absolutely. We'll see what comes of it in the future here. I know that, you know, there's a few things. Hopefully I'll be able to get into the arena for a one or two projects here before the season ends. Uh, but uh, aside from that, I'm just excited to be over here and be able to get to go to games because, like, as you know, you do the broadcast of Sportsnet. It's it's pretty cool to actually just be able to see some of the behind-the-scenes things that maybe you don't notice when you're just watching it on TV. And being around the rink is just such a different feeling, uh, you know, from watching it on Sportsnet, I guess. Yeah, man. Uh, well, I'm kind of excited to do this because I've made multiple appearances uh, on your show over the last year and a bit here, and I feel like uh, you just kind of, uh, you know, you just wave the red flag and, and the bull <laughs> the bull runs, basically. I just roll right over you for 45 minutes or however long we talk for. I'm excited that, you know, you are on the other end of this interview this time, and I get to hear some of uh, Faber's takes, because for, for so long, the format of your show was basically you just asking other people what they think and kind of uh, sitting back and listening, right? So let's yeah, get into it. It wasn't Where... much of a Canucks conversation. It was more of a Canucks me getting talked to or yelled at, in your case, in certain situations. <laughs> I, I'm, look, I'm not always – there are a couple things that I've yelled at you about, sure. But uh, we can get to those before too long here. I'll start where I started with quads yesterday. We're at the All-Star break right now. Uh, the team is in first place in the Pacific division but the pacific itself is kind of uh a a mishmash a hodgepodge of of teams that all have their own uh problems basically uh where are you on this team are you feeling pretty good that this is a playoff team that can maybe do some damage or uh is there still uh miles to go yet in the construction of this team overall before they are uh the 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 dominant powerhouse that we want to see here in vancouver (laughs) Yeah, they're not running away with the Pacific like they were, you know, 10, 15 years ago or even eight years ago when they were on that run as well. But what they're doing right now is they're at the top of the Pacific Division. There's nothing you can really argue with the standings aside from, like you mentioned, that they are so many teams so close. And I think you mentioned it last night. If you go on a one-week losing streak, you're probably out of the playoff spot with the situation that they're in. But the the moves that they made in the offseason kind of put them into this position, whether that was the right timing to go out and get 
uh, JT Miller for a first round pick and a third round pick or, you know, some of the things that they made signings for with Tyler Myers, like that's definitely up for argument if this was the right time to do it. I still think it was, you know, one or two years away from maybe starting to make those moves when you see a Pod Colson come in or a Huglander come in or you see that bottom six start to clear out of the old guys and bring in some of the new guys that we're seeing right now and Utica just tear it up. Like, I, I don't know if the timing was right for them to make those moves in the offseason, but it's worked, right? Like, they're, they're sitting at the top of the Pacific right now at the All-Star break, and the players have been good. Like, Elias Pettersson, JT Miller, Brock Besser leading the way like we kind of expected, Bo Horvat. Though he's, he's got the 42 points this year, but he's playing in a role where he's like excelling with Louis Erickson on his line. I don't think a lot of people would have expected that this year. But the thing that's holding the Canucks in right now is probably just their health, right? Like we haven't really seen a major injury to somebody in the top six. We've seen Alex Edler miss a couple games. He's probably the only defenseman in the top four that's missed a few games. But that's the thing that we always see derail this team, right? I think there's an argument to be made that the Canucks could have made the playoffs in the past couple of years if some injuries didn't happen at certain times and if they were all healthy like they've been this year. But this year we're actually seeing it, which is you know so different from the norm that we're normally used to here in Vancouver. So that's the exciting part. And, uh, yeah, they have some young emerging talent. Uh, this might not be the year that I would throw all my chips in for them to make the playoffs, but I think after this year, there's not really any more excuses to not make the playoffs with this group. Yeah, man, that's kind of where I've been for a very long time is like be as bad as you want until about 2020. And I've kind of been mm-hmm. saying this for two, three years now or so, because at after that point, there's no excuses. And yet we find ourselves here in 2020. And I feel very conflicted because like I do feel like it is the, uh, you know, for the long term benefit of this team to not make the playoffs this year and be kind of in the uh, picking mix that they have been in the last several, whether that's, you know, anywhere between five and 10 and heck, maybe you finally get lucky on the lottery this year. It's just such a deep draft that you're going to get a real quality player. And if you have to give up your pick this year and you pick someone next year, when you make the playoffs, you know, I don't know that the player that they get, if they're picking, you know, 20th or whatever next season and they have their pick then is really going to be able to help this core when they need help in the next little yeah. while. So, uh, whereas, like, I feel confident that if they just missed the playoffs this year and got another, you know, top 10 pick, like, that's another guy who could be in the lineup pretty well right away, or at least in the foreseeable future. And and yet, as someone who's kind of been looking toward the draft again this year and sort of felt like th- the fact that the Pacific is so wide open and the West is so wide open is almost a, a, a perfect combination, like best of both worlds, in that you have the team playing meaningful games and being competitive throughout the season. They're not collapsing and caving in on themselves and giving up on their year. But if they don't make it, it's not the worst thing in the world. And yet, when Quad started talking playoffs last night, I, <laughs> I, I just like I forgot that part of my brain that thinks about the draft and prospects and the future. And I got excited for like right now for the first time in a long time, I guess. So it, it's this constant like internal battle, push and pull between, um, you know, I, I, it's not really pessimism because I do feel like if you want them to get another prospect and like, cause if you love yeah. this team, I said this to Jackson McDonald last week, if you love this team, it's because you love watching Elias Patterson and you love watching Quinn Hughes. Right. So why mm-hmm. wouldn't you want a third one of those guys? Like <laughs> it's, it's, it's not negativity necessarily to want that, but 
uh, you know, maybe maybe there is some room in my heart for optimism here as well. Yeah, it's, you're totally right. Like we saw, I know that the, the term has sort of changed over the years, but we saw Team Tank versus Team Playoffs a few years ago, and, and Team Tank wasn't really negative. It's, it's what you just kind of mentioned there. Like we just wanted to add another top 10 pick a guy that, you know, Elias Pettersson's caliber, maybe Pod Colson's caliber. Like, these type of players are going to really be impact players in the top six moving forward. And the Canucks just, for so many years, just didn't have enough of that. And if you want to expand on that even more, they just really didn't have any players coming up to the pipeline that were going to come help their top six. Like, for a long time, like, people don't realize how bad it was just having the Sabines be forced to be your top six guys. And though they were still putting up a lot of points, it seemed like there wasn't any help coming, right? And, you know, after your team does have this type of you know, bad performance where you miss the playoffs for it's quite a long performance here. If you think about it, they'd missed the playoffs in 2013, but that actually helps you add so many of these players without doing that. We don't have Elias Pettersson. We don't have a guy like, or maybe Brock Besser would still be there, but we don't have a Quinn Hughes. We don't have like the pod Colson's coming up and without those picks. And that's the thing that's so strange about this rebuild is like, they could have really added more picks during the time. I know I don't want to dive like too deep into this right now because uh, this team isn't a great spot. And like you mentioned, when they're out there winning games, yeah, like we love it. Like for even if you are known as someone who's being a little bit negative in this market and a lot of people out there have that kind of stamp on them, there's nothing more. And I've heard you say this on my show. Like there's nothing more that we want to see more than this team go out and win the Stanley Cup. And it's so ridiculous to hear some other people talk about that. Like, like we don't want it to happen. Like we always want to see this team lose. Like, no, we want to add the most high caliber players to this team so that we can actually compete for a Stanley Cup instead of just being a team that competes for a playoff spot for the next five, six years. Yeah, and like you said, right, like this has been a very long process. And mm. part of me worries that if the team kind of just narrowly squeezes into the playoffs this year, then, you know, Benning and Weisbrod are just going to get this kind of uh, just stamp of approval that will, you know, the the Aquilini will be so elated with playoff games and playoff revenue that these guys just get the longest leash on earth. And I'm not, you know, <laughs> going to explicitly call for their firings, but... If the team misses the playoffs this year, then at least you are sort of forced to kind of take a sober second look at what really has gone on here in terms of overall process in the last five years. Because, look, I think what Benning has done in the last calendar year has largely been pretty good, like a lot of commendable moves. But you cannot let that overshadow everything that came before it as well, right? Yeah, totally. And, and like you mentioned, the long leash, like I've, I've thought about this a lot lately. Like, do you think that it's somewhat to do with Aquilini was starting to be known as a guy who could, you know, fire a GM at the snap of the fingers? If something didn't please him one season, he would fire that guy. We saw it with Gillis. And I wonder if that's why we've seen Jim Benning almost have nine lives like a cat, because maybe Aquilini was afraid to fire him at a time and, and have that kind of put in his background, because he was starting to be known as, a, as an owner who can just make a snap decision and change an organization so much. And I think that's kind of bought Jim Benning way more time than he probably should have had, to be honest. Yeah, it's funny because, like, five years is a pretty long tenure for a GM, right? Like, mm -hmm. it, maybe it doesn't necessarily seem that way in the grand scheme, but, like, you look at the history of Canucks general managers, there aren't that many who last longer than that. Uh, and without there playoffs, yeah. Especially without playoffs. But even even team, even guys who do make the playoffs, like Brian Burke <laughs> and Dave Notice, and even Mike Gillis's tenure is not that long necessarily, right? Like, uh, I'm, I, I'm trying to do the mental math here, but it is entirely possible to me that, like, <sighs> hmm. 
Actually, no, that that wouldn't quite line up. But we're getting close to Benning having been the GM for just as long as Gillis was. And they get held to incredibly different standards for some reason. (laughs) Yeah, they absolutely do. And I think that's something that we've seen. And we see it so much lately. Like, think about how many people have emerged in this Canucks market, whether it be through blogs or podcasts in this past year. And it's because we're on the way up, right? We didn't see a lot of blogs coming up or a lot of new writers or new podcasts coming when this team was coming down. But I think that a lot of people love to celebrate when this team starts to have success or at least gives you little hints of success in the future. And that's what we're seeing right now with this team. And that's kind of similar to what the situation is with Jim Benning. Like he's, he came in at a pretty rough time and maybe he didn't make some great moves to set it up for the future. But now we're getting to the point where, you know, you never want to see a GM learn on the job, but I think he's sort of done that to a certain degree. Like he's made some decent decisions, like you mentioned in this past year. But again, like we still see some of the mistakes that think be made in the off season. I think that people would probably feel better about it if there was more of a supporting cast. If if mm. it was because you know I've made this joke multiple times, but you'd see like tweets from insiders. Uh, you know, when John Shannon was still with Sportsnet, he'd say like. You know, the Canucks brass really likes this guy or whatever. And it's like, why are we why are we calling it a brain trust? It's really just two guys. Like uh Give me John. Yeah. So they you know, they've obviously went out and added Chris Gear and given him a, a promotion anyways to the to the AGM status. Um I, I'm you know, Ryan Johnson is very useful as a member of the trust as well, I'm sure. But you know, this has been a point of contention this week. Something that I didn't talk about with quads yesterday is this whole Judd Brackett situation. Because mm. I think even the people who love Jim Benning largely love him for the work of Judd Brackett. And I wonder how people are going to square those opinions if Brackett winds up leaving the organization through some sort of, you know, power shuffle in the offseason yeah. this year. Yeah, it's, it's almost similar to the situation with what we see with the goaltenders, right? I mean, like Ian Clark is a huge reason for what we've seen the success out of Jacob Markstrom. And you could say the same thing with Judd Brackett. He's a huge reason for the success that Jim Benning has had in this draft. I mean, he's picked some amazing players. I just spoke with Aid McDonough two weeks ago, who at the time was leading the nation. And he's a guy who they picked in the seventh round. He was leading NCAA hockey in power play goals at the time. And that's, a, that's not really the type of player that you find in the seventh round, right? I mean, you, you normally hope that you see a player develop two to three years down the road when you're picking him in the fifth, sixth, seventh round. Well, but that's where Judd Brackett's been excellent. And prior to Judd, it feels like every time this team got down to the fifth, sixth, seventh rounds, they would pick players who capped out as, like, goons or seventh <laughs> yeah. defensemen or 13th forwards. And it's like you can always you can always get those players off waivers for free at any time. Mm-hmm. Why would you ever draft a player who that is their high-end ceiling? And yeah, it's a, it's a great point. That That's what the thing that I've really liked from the drafting under uh, Judd Brackett is like maybe not necessarily in this most recent draft where, you know, I've sort of heard that uh, Jim and John kind of took the reins a little bit more than Brackett might have liked at the Vancouver draft. Uh, but in years previous, certainly, like they are swinging for the fences on – small skilled guys in later rounds and that's kind of what you should be doing at all times i think yeah and i think we heard him talk about that like right after the draft as well was he kind of was pointing out the skills for the reason why he was drafting those players like he talked about mcdonough who was a guy who went undrafted the first time and he came up and had a good year in the ushl 
He's the kind of guy who had some size, had a good shot. And I think we're seeing him draft those type of players, like you mentioned, that just have one sort of skill set that sticks out. Like, I know a lot of people like to talk about Tony Utenden, who's a guy that was drafted in the fifth round, fifth or, yeah, I think fifth round. And he's a guy that was a leader. Every year he was growing up on the U16 teams in Finland, he was the captain. On the U18 teams, he was the captain. Like, that's the type of player that I would like to take a fifth round shot on. Like, why is he the captain of that team? There has to be a reason why they are why they keep selecting him to be the captain. Or you look at a guy like uh, even Jack Malone, who had a really big jump up uh, in his USHL season, and he's a scorer with some speed. And like you mentioned, I mean, years in the past, they just have not been going for those type of players. And it's it's been interesting to see how this draft idea has kind of changed with Judd Brackett. And that brings up the situation like what you talked about there. Chris Gear is getting a promotion. I think a lot of people right now on Twitter are wondering, okay, why isn't Judd Bracky getting a promotion? Because we hear so much about how good the Canucks have been drafting over the past, you know, four or five years, but we don't really hear a lot about how good the contracts have been in the past four or five years. And that's something that Chris Gear kind of is in charge of the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, um, I mean, as we talk about these, the, the, I mean, obviously, when a guy has success, people are going to look at him for outside positions and, uh, you know, external promotions or whatever. And if he were to leave to be the uh, GM of another team, as I think he interviewed with the Oilers last year, like that obviously makes sense. But I think if he's going to leave to be an assistant general manager somewhere, like that is a promotion that the Canucks can and should match. There is no reason not to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's, I guess, the question that's, that's being asked right now is if he does get promoted to an AGM here in Vancouver, like how much pull does he actually have? Because like you just mentioned, for a long time, it's been Jim Benning and it's been John Wisebrod kind of running the show, right? We just saw the promotion of Chris Gear. We saw a president get let go, whether it be because of the problems between the GM and the president or certain other situations. So if Judd Brackett does get that promotion to an AGM, is that enough to keep him here? Like, do you think he has enough pull with Jim and John still being ahead of him, I guess? Uh, yeah, I would hope so. Like, you know, if, if, if they'd have to work it out, right? Like, the, you'd right. have to make some sort of agreement that m- my contributions actually matter <laughs> and you're not just yeah. going to supersede me and do whatever you want. Otherwise, why do I have a job? Which I think and is that's how... the scariest thing about Judd Brackett is we want to see him do that, right? And it feels like we don't have to have that conversation. Yeah, well... Let's move on, because, uh, of course, Judd, the guy who drafts the prospects, let's talk about some of them. I know you uh, are keeping close tabs on the Utica Comets this year, watching uh, <laughs> AHL streams on a regular <laughs> basis. Um, it, <laughs> Brogan Rafferty is a guy who gets talked about a lot just because he's having a lot of success with the Comets this season. Um, as somebody who watches him uh, a lot more than certainly I do, do you believe that that is success that will translate to the NHL level? Because I have a lot of pause when I look at the overall list of you know leading scoring defensemen in the AHL, and it's uh, Rafferty followed by Derek Pouliot and like yeah. Adam Clendenning. You know, I think about Cam Barker dominating the KHL. Like th- these skills do not <laughs> always translate to the best league in the world. Yeah, they definitely don't. But the thing that's exciting about Brogan Rafferty is that he's doing this in his rookie year as a professional hockey player, right? I mean, he's come in, he's come out of NCAA hockey, and we saw a real tough adjustment for another guy like Cole Lynn who came out of the uh, WHL junior hockey and jumped into professional, which is probably 
you know, it's not so much of a, a bigger jump as what you'd see in the NCAA hockey. I mean, both are great leagues for hockey, but we've seen Brogan Rafferty be able to jump in, put up a ton of points. He's put in some great situations. Like when he's on the power play, he's got Reed Boucher on his right side, who probably has the best one-timer and best shot in the NHL. And then he has Nikolai Goldobin on his left side of the power play, who is possibly one of the best playmakers in the AHL right now. Um, and that's the thing. Like he's put into a great spot to have success, but he's also made a lot of that success happen you know, by himself, like he moves the puck up ice very well. He's not so great at making the stretch passes like we're seeing Ole Levy have, but Brogan Rafferty can skate the puck up. And that's something that we're seeing the NHL kind of move to more. We're seeing defensemen have to be able to move the puck. Like I remember playing the NHL video games and there was all these different type of uh, type of defensemen you could choose when you're making a creative player. And it seems like all of them have to be puck moving defensemen now. And we're seeing that with Brogan Rafferty because he can move the puck from the defensive zone to the offensive zone. I know that his Corsi percentage isn't great, and I guess uh, for people who want to find that, Cody Severson is doing a great job. And uh, speaking of passes to Bulis earlier, he's with them, uh, so you're going to see some great work from him about that in the future. But Brogan Rafferty, yeah, like he's he's the type of guy who could maybe play on your NHL team and be a contributor on your second power play unit. Like I think he has the hands, I think he has the skill and the quick little short passes. Like he seems to understand that part of the game and he's great at it. But there's definitely some things in his defense that he needs to work on before people start calling for Troy Stetcher to get traded and Brogan to be called up. Do you do you feel like I well before I get there, I was going to move up front. Let's stay on the defense for a second. You mentioned Ollie Ulevi, and mm-hmm. Ollie obviously a bit of a lightning rod topic in this city every single time he comes up because uh, people very disappointed that uh, we're four years on from his draft and he has not played a single NHL game, which I think is very fair to be disappointed by. He's obviously been very unlucky with injuries, so on, etc. Uh, bad luck with injuries again this year. Had to miss a significant chunk of time with some, I guess, knee issues, lingering mm-hmm. problems down there. Not serious enough to end his season as some had feared or- originally, but you- you've been watching him down there in the AHL. Do you still believe that this guy is a player? Yeah, I think that his smarts are something that everyone talked about when he was drafted, and that's what people are probably still talking about now. Like, he he just plays the game. He moves the puck up, up ice in such a great way. His stretch passes are probably the best part of his game. But like you mentioned, the, the scary thing is those injuries. I remember being there at training camp and watching them kind of line up after practice in a circle and do stretches. And it looked like there were certain stretches that he just wasn't able to do because of that knee. And then the next day he takes the day off or day two of training camp. And then, you know, later on as the season goes on, like you mentioned, he's flown up to Vancouver. He needs to get that knee checked on again. So I'm wondering if Ole Levy just needs to be able to adjust to that body. Like we've seen, you hear from, even like Adrian Peterson was a great example. You could hear quotes out of him saying when he came back after that, in, like that terrible uh, torn ACL that he had, like he had to adjust. And we hear that from a lot of older players, you know, whether it's in hockey or other sports leagues, like they need to adjust to their bodies. They're not 21 years old anymore. But now we're saying that about Ole Levy, who, you know, is 21, 22 years old. He just doesn't have the body that he had when he was 17 years old anymore. And if he's able to make the adjustments to whether it's his skating or the way that he plays to stay healthy, like there is a spot for him to move into the NHL. He has enough skills that are, are appealing to an NHL team. Maybe he's not going to be that guy that's going to play in your top pairing. Thank God we have Quinn Hughes for that anyways. But he is the type of guy that I think can still add a lot. He's been, he's been great on the penalty kill. He's the first guy out there for you to comment. The thing that, uh, that's a huge difference from last year to this year, and I'm hearing this from Corey, who comes on my show every week, is Ole Levy is just blocking a ton of shots. And 
we, you know, even if you watch some of these uh, audio clips that come out of the UK comments, whether it's a player who's mic'd up, there's always like one scene in those YouTube videos where Ole Alevi blocks a shot and the bench just goes nuts. So he's, he's bringing a lot to this team. I don't know if he's ready for a call-up this year. I don't know if he's ready for a call-up at the start of the next year. But if he's able to stay healthy, I think he's the first guy that gets called up somewhere into next season. Uh, Justin Bailey is a guy who's just exploded uh, for offense as a forward in Utica lately. Uh, he's, you know, a little bit on the older side in his mid-20s. I don't know like how much we should really be expecting from this guy as anything more than just a good depth option in Utica. But, uh, you know, he's got speed that just wows you even at the AHL level it seems like the kind of speed that could translate to NHL success as well I I I don't really know the entire like course of this guy's career if he's just you know one of these tweener guys who's not quite good enough to hack it at the NHL uh, level but can do these amazing things at the AHL level Uh, what have you been seeing from him lately and and what are your thoughts on his kind of overall ceiling yeah, I would be shocked if there's another guy in the AHL who's faster than Justin Daly. He he moves around AHL players similar to what we see Connor McDavid do at the NHL, which you know isn't saying that he's going to make a huge impact at the NHL level. But when he when he, you know he is going to get here, he's got three hat tricks in his last five games, and this past game he just made an amazing play uh, with Cole Lind, who those two have found some amazing chemistry together. But we've seen you know Zach McEwen's been given an opportunity to play with Bo Horvat on the second line. Uh, if injuries do come, I think the coolest thing about Utica this year that we just haven't seen since, you know, since the Manitoba Moose having like Ryan Kessler and, and uh, Burroughs and Baumgartner and BXA on that same team was we actually have some options for players now. Like if a guy goes down on the first line, maybe Nikolai Goldobin or Sven Berchi is that player to come up or even a Reed Boucher. If the second line player goes down, like there's guys like Justin Bailey, there's guys like Berchi that can come up and play there. And even like bottom six players, like McCune's a great option if you need a call up after an injury to come play in your bottom six on your fourth line or something. But that's something that we just haven't seen. Like they, they have so many different players that can call up. There's not really one player that's sticking out. Like obviously Reed Boucher leading the AHL in scoring is great, but he's probably not the first guy to get called up. Sven Berchi is probably an NHL player on a lot of teams. And I know that's something that you've yelled about in the past. So I know you agree <laughs> with that. Uh, he's a guy that would you know be an option to get called up. And yeah, Justin Bailey's put himself into a spot now with 22 goals. He's, he's scoring like crazy. He actually has more power play goals than Reed Boucher, I believe at this point. And he, he has certain skills that would be great at the NHL level. But even in AHL games, I don't know if he ties it all together. I mean, he's six foot four, two hundred and twenty-five pounds ish or something, mm-hmm. and he he doesn't really play physical. Like if he played physical and he was in the corners crushing people, using his size and drop the gloves, like that guy should be in the NHL. He's a perfect fourth line guy with that speed. If he were to have a little bit more physicality in his game, yeah, it just sounds like you're describing a, a faster Nikolai Goldobin in some levels, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I, I brought him up because the guy I really want to talk about is Cole Lind. Should mm-hmm. we see a Cole Lind call up at some point this season, or is it just better off to let him continue to develop down there? Yeah, I mean, like when we were seeing Louis Erickson play on the fourth line and he was kind of fading away in the games for the Vancouver Canucks, I just kept thinking, like, I feel like Cole Lind would have a bigger impact on an NHL game than what Louis Erickson was doing on that fourth line. Uh, you know, you know, obviously things have changed. Louis's been decent now on that second line he's bringing a little bit of offense and a lot of two-way game to it uh but Cole Lind right now yeah he's he's putting up a lot of points he's like definitely I think he's top 10 in the AHL for scoring which is something that nobody probably projected after last season but the thing that I'm loving about Cole Lind right now is and we saw this in junior if he gets emotionally involved in a game 
that's when he plays his best. We saw what he did when he got cut from the World Juniors. He came back, got a fight, got a hat trick that first game back. And now that he's in the AHL and he kind of understands that he has the physical capability to stand up to another AHL player, like he's a he's a chirpy little shit. Like just to be honest, like I love it about him. And uh, if he's able to kind of use that part of his game, I think you're getting the best out of Colvin in that spot because he has the skill. He can shoot the puck. His playmaking is great. Like that's probably one of the better parts of his game. Uh, and Justin Bailey is taking a lot of that right now from him because Colin is just a setup machine. He's worked his way onto the first power play in, in Utica. But is is he making enough push to be an NHL guy? I don't think so, especially with guys like Justin Bailey, Goldobin, and Boucher there. Like, there's not really a spot. And, and I just mentioned that this team has so many options. I don't know what the option would be where Cole Lind is the best decision to be called up. I think that the only time that actually happens is if the Canucks completely fall off, knock on wood. Uh, but if they completely fall off, it'd be nice to get them up here to just kind of see what one or two, three games are like at the NHL level. And then maybe that sets him up for to be a call-up next year. But, I mean, if he finishes this year in Utica, he's going to put up a ton of points. He's going to have a ton of confidence going into next year and going into the offseason. Like, I, I picture Cole Lynn as like a 20, 21-year-old, sorry, I guess 22 years old in the offseason and just seeing what he did at the AHL level and being like, oh, I'm a second-round pick. I just had a great year in the AHL. If I work my ass off just like I did last summer, then I'm pushing for an NHL spot. And that's got to be every hockey player's dream. Yeah, man, absolutely. Uh, one last hockey question before we wrap up, because uh, you mentioned I have yelled at you about certain topics in the past. seems like every time we speak, uh, the projected point total for the end of the season for Tanner Pearson goes up and up and up right now on pace for a 60-point year, Chris. A 60-point season. Do you still think he's a fourth-line player? I'll tell you what, you know how good that would look on a fourth line? No, just, oh, come <laughs> just on, I mean, he, no, I mean, he definitely has found success with Bo Horvat. I, I, I really wasn't buying into it last year. Uh, I just thought that, you know, it looked like there were certain things that were bouncing his way last season. But those bounces have kept like kept coming. It seemed like he, he like I mentioned when we talked in this conversation, he's got a heavy stick. And that heavy stick is actually working with Bo Horvat. And he surprised me. He's a guy that's that, you know, even after our conversation, like I, I had all these conversations with people and I learned so much about the Canucks because like, I'm not the kind of person that has my idea and it's never going to change it. Like I'm going to listen to what everyone else says. And I think that's the point of having a conversation is you understand where the points of the other people are coming from is. And, and yeah, like my mind has definitely changed a little bit on Tanner Pearson. He's fitting in. He's probably going to score 20 plus goals, maybe push for 25 goals this year. And that's just, not what I expected for a guy that we traded Eric Branson for. So I have changed a little bit. I think that he's he's a top six player on the Vancouver Canucks team right now. Uh, he's found chemistry with Bo Horvat. And, man, if, if they can sure up that second line and bring it to another level of offense, that is going to be so incredible to see. Because though you have Louis Erickson in that spot and he's playing a good two-way role, you know, like I, I see the trade, corner, the trade deadline just around the corner, and I wonder, like, man, what could that line look like with a guy who can, you know, boost both of those players' games even? Um, I just said that was our last uh, hockey question, but I kind of have to <laughs> ask a follow-up to that, I guess. Um, you can't see it. I'm just doing like a victory lap right now as I oh, celebrate yeah, sure. the fact that you've come around <laughs> on Tanner Pearson. You've uh, earned it. You've earned it. Do, do you think that this team should go out and make changes and additions at the deadline? Because I don't really think that they have the cap space or the assets to give up to get anything worthwhile in return. And they have guys sort of coming back from injury, whether that is a Michael Furland or a, you know, knock on wood, Josh Levo as well, who mm-hmm. could be the kind of emotional uh, injections into this lineup that you would want from 
a deadline acquisition anyways. It seems like they did their shopping in the offseason. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think that that's a great point, bringing up Michael Furlan. Like, man, if he if he's possible to come into this lineup and make an impact like we've seen him do in the past with, you know, being a top six player, maybe he's that guy who jumps in and puts Louis Erickson out of the lineup because, like I mentioned earlier, like Louis Erickson, when he plays on a fourth line, he basically disappears in the game. Like, I would... I would rather see Tyler Mott in, in the lineup on the fourth line than a Louis Erickson or, you know, even I have the time for, for Brandon Sutter possibly being the guy that I would have in the lineup on the fourth line instead of Louis because he just doesn't seem to, to get involved in the games when he's put in those situations. And Michael Furland's so interesting because, like, man, if, if he comes in and looks healthy and plays on that second line with Horvat and Pearson, that's a line that is going to be very strong in the corners. They're going to be a physical line. Like, I'd be excited to see what they can do. And then you mentioned Josh Levo. Yeah, like you mentioned, if he makes a comeback to this team, that's a huge boost for them. And, and yeah, they did make a lot of moves in the offseason to set him up here. But with Jim Benning in this spot, he, he's gone all in to make the playoffs in the offseason. I wouldn't be shocked if he you know, goes all in here, the trade deadline, to make the playoffs as well. All right, man. Uh, i got to wrap it there, but I'm glad you enjoyed yourself. At Ballroom Brawl, I'm glad you enjoyed your oh. your live wrestling experience. Can we experience. talk about Ballroom for a second? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so I don't know like any of the chance going into this thing, and I just couldn't believe how much fun like the crowd made the event. Right, like that's what you know I've heard from a lot of people with the just the atmosphere in there just makes it so much fun. And I think there was at one point like the tables, ladders, and chairs match with the women was unreal. You know, like screaming Justin Bieber at one of the guys who looked like Justin Travis Bieber. Travis Williams. So much fun. Yeah, like that was so much fun. And I remember one of the wrestlers like horked a loogie at one point. It lands in like the second <laughs> row and some guy caught it and like holds it up in the air. And I'm just like, what the hell is going on? I've never been in this type of environment before, but I had an absolute blast, man. It was so much fun. And I didn't even, you know, I was sober in there enjoying a wrestling event, so I couldn't imagine after a couple beers. Uh, glad to hear you come around not just on Tanner Pearson, but the one true sport of professional wrestling as well. <laughs> uh, Chris, thank you so much for doing this, man. I'm sorry it's taken so long for me to get you on the show. Let's do this again sometime soon, eh? Yeah, absolutely, Justin. Thanks for doing this, man. No problem. Thank you. There he is, Chris Faber. That is your Locked on Canucks for... Thursday night, late, as I mentioned, off the hop. Uh, back again on Friday, and uh, we'll have shows right through the weekend for you as well, breaking down Canuck performances at the All-Star Game. We found out earlier today that uh, uh, it will be Elias Pettersson as the lone forward taking uh, part in the hardest shot competition. Quinn Hughes, the lone defenseman, going to be participating in the fastest skater competition, and uh, Jacob Markstrom will be one of the um, goaltenders in, I think it's called the Save Rally or something. Uh, you know, they try and see how many consecutive stops they can make. Guys cutting in on breakaways. I can't remember the name of the event off the top of my head, but that's what Marky will be busy doing during the skills competition portion of All-Star Weekend. And you know what? I, I actually do find myself looking forward to this All-Star game. Uh, more than I can recall, like this might be the most anticipated all-star game uh, for me personally in a good many, many years now, just because, you know, there is kind of this excitement of having three guys there and the kind of um, 
familial vibe that that brings with it as they, you know, Markstrom was sort of joking as the team went into the break that he got named to the uh, All-Star game to be kind of a chaperone and older brother figure to make sure that the kids stay out of trouble. But uh, there is kind of some truth to that, I think. Maybe not necessarily keeping them out of trouble, but, uh, you know, they're going to get up to some hijinks, those three, I would imagine, over the course of the weekend together. And I really look forward to watching it all unfold. I will break it down with you as it all goes down this weekend because we're back as I mentioned doing daily shows once again here sorry that uh, I got real sick over the holidays and uh, took some time off for Christmas and New Year's as well but um, if you enjoy the program you can do me uh, two little favors Uh, you can uh, head on over to the Apple Podcast Store or wherever you happen to get the show and leave me a nice review if you are so inclined to do that you can also tell someone that you think might like the show that the show exists and they would enjoy it. If you do like this show and you want to support it, that's what you can do. Or you can just uh, you know reach out, uh, slide into my DMs and send me a nice message. I always appreciate that as well. Uh, until tomorrow when I'm back to do this all over again, I have been and will continue to be Justin Morissette. And you've been locked in on Locked On Canucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.